0: Hello Gems, welcome to another episode of Tiaras and Tech. I'm your host, Shelly Benhoff, and today I'm talking to Deborah Carrata about lessons she has learned in technical management. She is a Pluralsight author, speaker, Microsoft MVP, and Google GDE. We talked about our struggles moving from dev to management and some of the tips that she learned along the way. I have learned so much from her and I'm honored that she fit this chat with me into her very busy schedule. Without further ado, on to the episode. And we're live, so I want to welcome you, Deborah. Thank you so much for joining me here and I wanted to start by having you just introduce yourself, tell us who you are, where you're from, and what your um, career experience is.
1: Okay, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you um, having me on. Um, so my name is Deborah Kurata. I am a software developer and a Pluralsight author. I primarily author courses on C Sharp and uh, Angular. So um, I have quite a few uh, courses in both categories or both um, areas on uh, the Pluralsight site. Um, I am originally from Wisconsin, and um, so, you know, if you're familiar with anyone from the Midwest, you might catch some of that in my, my tones, Um, and uh, I spent a little bit of time in Virginia and then moved out to California. I'm currently in the San Francisco Bay, Silicon Valley, Silicon Valley area, um, which makes it which made it really nice back in the day when we could go places uh, to be so close to clients, both in um, Silicon Valley and, and San Francisco. But now it doesn't matter where we are, I guess. Very true, yeah. So um,
0: with all of your experience with Angular and C Sharp and all of that, and I I just want to mention that I've I've watched a number of your courses and I've learned a lot not only technically, but also your overall style, your presentation, like I've studied what you do. So thank you so much for that. But um, today's topic is on management and lessons learned. I think that we both have stories on, on this topic. So I just wanted to start off by kind of asking, how did you move from, development to management
1: um well i uh actually um backing it up even a little bit further than that i actually have uh, degrees in math and in physics so i didn't have any um management uh, background in college nor computer science for that matter i did work in the computer lab and um So after I graduated, I um, uh, went to graduate school for a year, ran out of money, and used my job in the computer lab to get me a job in tech. Um, And from there, I asked zillions of questions. That's pretty much what I did all day for, I think, the first year that I worked. What's this? Why is that? Why, you know? What does this mean? Why this? Why that? Um, Lots and lots and lots of of questions. And it really helped me understand not only the particular product that I was working on, but what other people were working on. Um, I was, you know, if I asked somebody a question and I didn't understand the answer, I would go ask somebody else the same question and somebody else the same question until I finally found someone who explained it in the words that actually made sense to me. Um, So I got to know a lot of um, the people in the organization besides my, just my little group. Um, And so as uh, the projects um, continued to grow, I started to take on more um, uh, project lead responsibilities. And then um, when the company moved um, to Virginia, um, I got a, a management role at the company, even though I really had no um, real management expertise or or background. Um, so after a couple of years of uh, leading the team there and being a little frustrated with not feeling like I knew what I was doing, I decided, well, since I'm in Williamsburg, Virginia, I might as well go to William & Mary. So I went to the College of William & Mary uh, part-time. I worked full-time and I got an MBA. Um, and that was uh, quite helpful in a lot of ways, but um, uh, I think that, and I'm going to be uh, talking a little bit more about some of this soon, but a lot of the things that uh, it seemed like the instructors teach aren't necessarily how the real world, world, real world works. Um, it seems that, you know, a lot of the teachers are or in our faculty, our full-time faculty, and they're not um, working with, especially not people in tech. And so a lot of the uh, principles that they taught didn't quite match with what I was seeing in the industry. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'll talk a little bit more about that as we move on. Um, But that was kind of my, my path.
0: Yeah, I almost the exact same thing happened to me. I got into management with no management experience. I think in college I took one class and I got a C, and that was my only C that I I I got. I was a I was a straight A um, perfectionist type person. But yeah, when I started in management, I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have support from the boss that I worked for. Um, I, I still had to do my old job (laughs) on top of being the manager. So that didn't really set me up for too much success. Um, I was just wondering, (laughs) what did you struggle with, um, to learn, like, management um practices
1: um oh a lot of a lot of trial and error a lot of error. <laughs> um, so um that made uh it difficult for the people i worked with i'm sure because i tried different things to try to um you know figure out how to make it work um, one of the things that I tried early on, because like you, you know, just because you're in charge of the team doesn't mean you don't also still have your work to do. That's right. (laughs) So one of the things that I tried just because I wasn't getting my work done is doing a closed door hours so that certain hours during the day, the door would be closed. Um, So I was trying like two hours every afternoon to just not talk to anyone And that was just not a very good idea Um, because somebody would run into a problem. Nobody was there to answer their questions. So they either would go down the wrong path or sit and read the newspaper for two hours waiting for me to finish or, you know, whatever. Yeah, it tells you how long ago that was. They were reading the newspaper and not surfing the web. Um, (laughs) So um, I think that, as I said, there was a lot of, of trial and error Um, And one of the things that I learned in business school was that you needed to, you needed to figure out what your management style is. Absolutely. You know, do you want to be a Lee Iacocca? Do you want to be a Ross Perot? Do you want to be a um, Bill Gates? Do you want to be um, Steve Jobs? You know, who is, who, what is your management style? And it took me a really long time to realize, I mean, I think, probably 20 plus years to realize that that is wrong, that is just completely wrong, because management isn't about you. I don't mean you particularly, but you, the the manager, it's not about me. It's not about what I want or the way I want to manage. A good manager makes it about them. What does that person need? And it was interesting. I just um, a little story. Um, I just I like to watch a TV show called The Rookie. Have you ever seen it?
0: I haven't. But that one has been on my list for a long time. Yeah, It's
1: Nathan Fillion. And mm-hmm. I am just a huge Nathan Fillion fan. Oh, and, same. Um, it's very good. It's one of the first police shows that I thought, you know, I don't know that much about policing, but seemed more accurate. know, once they have a a shooting, then the person is on desk duty for a while, not after the guy who, you know, whatever, all that stuff that's so obviously not how standard procedures would be. But anyway, they recently had an episode that just kind of spoke to this management style thing. Um, One of the rookies finished their um, rookiness and (laughs) Uh, had um, been promoted to a, a full-time officer and was meeting with the person who was going to be having the same training officer as her and telling her how incredibly difficult it was and, and how he had treated her. And it went on and on and on about how what the experience was like. And then over the course of this episode, she started seeing him treat her completely different. And she got so upset, you know, why were you so difficult or so hard on me where you're so friendly with this person? Mm -hmm. And the guy basically said, well, you came in with this, everything is roses kind of attitude. And I needed to show you how hard and how difficult it is out there. Wow. This other person that came in was, um, a, um, uh, what do you call them, um, a vet from Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. So I needed to teach them that those aren't your enemy out there, that those are good people. And you can't just, you know, immediately be thinking that they're out there to, you know, their whole goal is, is to be, you know, attacking you. And so because each person needed something entirely different, he completely changed his style of training them to match.
0: To match and I think that's
1: Yeah, and I think that's really important to be thinking about when you're managing people. You know, one person might be coming in with very little um, technical skills, but a huge drive and wants to learn. And you spend time different with them than another person who comes in with all the experience, but maybe not good communication skills or someone else that comes in um, that's good at communicating and good at um, technical skills, but isn't very good at working with others. Um, And uh, so you wanna, you know, manage them as they need to be managed, not what your management style is, um, because uh, it shouldn't be, you know, it shouldn't be about you.
0: Exactly, yeah. I think that that speaks to, I'm a, servant leader, you know, like I'm, nobody works for me. Like I, I work for them, you know, they do the work that I want. And so to ensure um, success, you know, I, I support instead of, you know, I'm on high and I'm like, you know, (laughs) a queen or something. And I have my, my subjects that's, interestingly not how i manage people even though that's how i look but um yeah it's it's important to take the person's um you know personality needs goals and cultivate a relationship um through mentoring which is something that i didn't really start until later on, like when I started as a manager, I didn't mentor people as well. So I wasn't a very effective manager. Um, I was just wondering what is your mentoring experience?
1: Well, at least from what I can recall, the whole mentor concept wasn't really a thing back when I started. I mean, I, I'm significantly older than you, um, so there's significantly more years back there, but it just doesn't seem like people talked about mentors, people had mentors. And I don't know if it's because we didn't have like social media, we didn't have ways of communicating like that. Um, so uh, back when I first started, you know, nobody talked about having a, a mentor really. Um, At least not to the extent that everyone does now, Uh, and so it wasn't something that I really knew of it wasn't something that i'd ever really formally experienced. Um, My first two jobs, interestingly, both uh, the in the computer lab and my first um, job in industry uh, in both cases my um, manager was a woman, which is not the case anymore, I think we have lost the percent of women going into um, software has decreased since the time I started because there were a lot more um, women doing programming back then. Um, A lot more women at the company I worked for. And as I said, my boss was a woman, one of um, the other big areas of the companies uh, that was run by a woman. And um, uh, so I, I sort of felt in some respects I I had some amount of mentoring um, because I had someone who was willing to answer my questions Um, and I had zillions of them, you know, uh, why, why do you declare variables, I mean everything, everything from those little tiny details, Um, why was um, this handled this way instead of doing it that way, what is the naming conventions that we should be using what, why, 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 Um, on everything so um. In that respect, uh, both of them were probably informally uh, a mentor without ever really uh, defining a mentoring uh, relationship. Um, I find now that, uh, or at least over the past several years, um, the term has has become different things to different people. Uh, I know several people over time have asked me to mentor them which really, I think, from them explaining what they were looking for, they really wanted someone to help them get into a big company. Mm. Um, And I, you know, have limited ability to do that because I don't, you know, I don't work at Google. Um, But they, they say I'm a GDE, a Google developer expert, and they assume I can get them into Google. And um, so I have not uh, taken those kind of people on to mentor, because if that's what their goal is for me to help them get into Google, I don't, um, I won't be the one to get them through that path. Um, So uh, I do think that it's important um, to spend time, I mean, one of the things that's so easy to do is kind of the grass is greener on the other side, that you focus not on what you have, but what you could have. Like one of the projects that I um, worked on a while back, um, you know, if we only had an expert in X Y Z, we could do this so much easier. Instead of okay, we need to learn X Y Z. How can we, as a team, get better to do that? And so I think it's it's um, important to look at not just what your um, uh, team members know, but what they could know. Um, there are always some, you know, there's always a couple people on your team that are like the um, early adopters that are the ones that are the first to, oh, um, uh, .NET just came out with a new blah, blah, blah. And so let's try that out in our application. Let's try out generics. Let's try out, you know, whatever that the technology is. And then there are others that are like, I've learned how to do it this way. And I'm not very comfortable with... Uh, changing to a different approach and you know again so it kind of goes into managing each person how they need and um when you do need to be moving into um you know a new product or whatever that it's those those um ones that are early adopters as the ones that you want to help kind of move your team in that direction and have them do um lunch meetings where they're presenting little topics of fun things you could do and why you would want to do those things and how it helps the team and how it would help your end customer and um, and those kinds of things. And, you know, kind of mentor the people that you have instead of always looking, you know, if we just had someone else, um, if we just had an expert on this, if we just had someone who could write the documentation for us, if we just had you know, instead, if you really focus on what you have and how you could mentor and help um, to, um, you know, make your team what you need your team to be and um, bring out each person's strengths.
0: <clears throat>
1: right. Yeah,
0: I think um, one, one point that you made was that so many teams and and companies don't invest enough time in training their existing employees on new uh skills i just hit my microphone um but yeah and with a plural site recently um i feel like i feel like we were talking about this and the problem currently is that teams are underskilled so like it's even more important now um with all of these expanding technologies i mean technology has uh exploded in the past 2 years because of corona um but yeah i don't i don't really know where i was going with that but that was just a thought that i had um yeah for training um to pro- provide your team with training time. I've only had one job that ever did that for me and it was weird because I was also a plural site author on the side. so I'm like watching courses for free because I'm an author so I get access to all the courses for free. But yeah, um, it it helps a lot to do that kind of
1: thing. Yeah and um, when you're mentoring too, I think it's really important to focus on guiding. And not necessarily criticizing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, <clears throat> uh, so often now code reviews are just done on GitHub. And it's easy to just, oh, you should have done this, you should have done that, you should have done this, you should have done that. And that's not necessarily always helpful. Um, sometimes you want to provide more guidance. Um, uh, you know, like I've had people um send me uh Feedback on my plural site courses like your voice makes me sick. It's like, well, that is not providing me anything actionable, exactly. um, Other than to maybe suggest that you can turn my voice off and turn on the captioning and (laughs) read it yourself. I never thought about that, (laughs) yeah, yeah, but anyway, um, or you know, you sound like a robot. I was just gonna say,
0: yeah, we've had a lot of conversations about this because we've we've both had this comment multiple times, and it's just kind of like, well, all computers have women's voices now, so Mm. what are we gonna do? Like, our our voices are not computer generated. We read, you know, into a microphone, and yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah, um, I so wish that they would have made all of those those robots men's voices, and then maybe we wouldn't have that problem. Yep. Uh, Maybe we would. Anyway, um, but yeah, I think it's really important that if if you're, um, you know, one of your team members is not performing like they should, if they're making mistakes, if they're, um, you know, not coding as cleanly as they should be, whatever, you want to provide guidance and not just criticism, you want to make it actionable, something that they can actually do um, and not just you know your code sucks because that is completely not actionable.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: something like, you know, your routines are longer than what the company suggests. Um, as per our, our coding standards, so it would be really much better if you could break them into smaller uh, routines that are more easily testable. Or your uh, unit tests seem to be only getting 50% code coverage really should be getting a higher um, percent. And you always want to highlight the good too, in addition to um, uh, saying, you know, what they're doing wrong. So not just what could be improved, but also what they're doing well, Um, as this especially is true for reviews. So if you're doing a formal review of some kind, so often it's like, you know, you did this wrong, you did that wrong or whatever. And it's really important to highlight also all of the really good things that they've done. You know, it was really great of you to do a a lunch talk on this topic and you've really got good speaking skills and your comments in this code were nice because they weren't just reiterating what was done but were explaining why. And I think that's really important for the long-term maintenance of the project or, you know, whatever, to be really highlighting um, that. I was talking to my uh, daughter who is uh, a, a cancer researcher and is developing uh, better tests for um, for cancers and talking to her about um, uh, her experience because she is just slowly starting to make the steps. She just had her second um, person who's now um, been hired underneath her that she's responsible for, Good for or her. on her team. Um, and uh, she said that one of the things that they have been Um, trying in her company is something that they call start stop continue, um, where the idea is when you're doing a review, you listen to all of the you list the things that they should be starting to do. Um, So now that you've been here a year you might want to start also uh, contributing to this project or you might want to get more involved also in back end development or you know what things that they would suggest to continue to move your career forward, things you should stop, like, you know, um, we don't need for you to be writing six paragraphs with every one of your GitHub check-ins, you know, just get to the point um, and, you know, so stop doing that. But continue to put comments with, so it stops, start, continue. Um, So it always, you know, has, um, you know, the path forward, which which is the start, um, what they Can stop doing either because you know they've been there long enough now someone else is taking care of that or it's something that isn't meeting with the team's goals and then things that they are doing well that they should continue to do and i think that that's a really good kind of simple way to be thinking about um how to provide this guidance without just um criticizing exactly
0: yeah i've worked at a lot of places where the code review process was basically be as big of a jerk as possible, you know? And I just, I never learned anything. And I mean, I, I also felt afraid to ask questions and that's just not the team, um, dynamic that you want. You want people to, um, be open, non judgmental of other people's codes, stuff like that. You know, it's a lot of times it's hard to conform to standards because I mean, every single job I've ever had has different standards, a different way to, you know, space out the code. Some places are adamant that you have to have everything tabbed in a nice, you know, flow and, um, yeah, it's, it's hard to conform without
1: guidance. Like you said. Yeah, and a lot of the um, code reviews that I was in back in the day, people, you know, they would have eight people come in, and zero of them looked at the code ahead of time. So everybody's just kind of flipping through the code. And, oh, you missed a semicolon here. Oh, this variable name should be longer or, you know, and nothing was really you know, they didn't talk about the design, they didn't talk about the architecture, they didn't talk about whether what you wrote really met the need of what was required because nobody came prepared. So all they did was nitpick the things that they could see at a glance because nobody could comment on anything deeper than that because nobody had spent the time. So at least now with the GitHub code reviews frequently, you know, since you can kind of more do it on your own time, and you're not just all pulled in, you know, oh, gosh, I've got this meeting now, you can kind of take a little bit more time and really think about, you know, does this change make sense, as opposed to just are the semicolons in the right place and the tabs and the, you know, whatever else. Exactly. Um, one of the other problems or one of the other things that I did wrong, and I know a lot of new um, uh People starting to manage do wrong, and my daughter struggles with this one also is that you don't want to solve every problem. Um, developers themselves are inherently problem solvers, and that means us too, those managers who came from uh, the development path. Um, so it's very tempting to want to solve their problems for them, and that's sometimes like the worst thing that you can do. Um, because if every time someone comes in with a problem, well, I'll I'll just code that for you and get it to you. I mean, that's not helping them. It's not helping you. Um, but so often that's easier because it's easier to sit down, you know, go away. I'm going to just sit and code and I'll get it how I want it, as opposed to explaining enough to them to be able to do that. So you really want to help. You want to guide. You want to answer questions, but you can't solve, you can't be the one solving all their problems. Exactly. Um, yeah. I, I think it, it comes to
0: just that we as technical specialists, if we know how to do something and somebody's struggling with it and it's urgent, uh, honestly, then it's, it's really hard t- to not do that, but you need to teach people, um, instead of doing it for them. And, that means guiding them to the answer instead. And then it'll help them to remember like why and how.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, And one of the other uh, problems again, for um, people you mentioned, you're a perfectionist. I I kind of uh, really swing that way also. Um, And as a perfectionist, one of the things that's also difficult with not solving the problem for them is letting them do it their way when it could be different from your way. Um, A little example is um, uh, I'm not a huge fan of doing laundry. I don't know very many people that are, um, but I am relatively particular about how things are folded and how, you know, whatever. And um, I found very early on, I've been married a long time, I found very early on that if I refold everything that my significant other folds, that he will stop coming to help fold the laundry. So I just had to let that go. And so my shirt is folded with some wrinkles. It's better than doing it all by myself. So it's kind of a decision you have to make, You know, are you going to want to do the laundry by yourself for the rest of your life? Or are you going to accept having your T-shirt have some wrinkles in it because your spouse doesn't quite lay it out exactly how you do and it looks a little more crumpled? That's it. You know, and it's the same thing um, uh, in business. Um, I actually worked on a doc team a while back where the guy in charge actually physically rewrote absolutely every single thing that every team member did because he wanted it in one voice and he wanted it with one um, you know, set of terms. And instead of have helping any of us you know, kind of learn that voice, I mean, we're intelligent people, we're software developers, we could learn a voice. Um, and instead of providing guidance, he just would do that. And not only did it then eat up all of his time, so he was working like 80 hours a week because he was rewriting everybody's work. But it also led to a huge amount of turnover because this was a volunteer thing. So, who wants to volunteer to help work on this documentation when you would spend three days getting the wording of this particular topic exactly right, really clear, made sure every example flowed through and that all the code worked, only to have it completely unrecognizable when he was done. Um, So, you know, pretty much people would stay for three, four weeks and then would be gone and then a couple more people oh I'm so excited to work on this and then you know how excited is it when it's just completely being redone. Um, so uh, that's kind of um uh, <laughs> on the far end of that example but um you do need to just, It's really hard with code. And I'm sure you've worked with people like that too, where they want all the code to look exactly the same. And sometimes you really need to ask Does it really need to be? I mean, to some extent, you want consistency because somebody else has to be able to maintain it. But if one person puts in three spaces and one person puts in a tab, you know, is that going to make it impossible for you to read? Um, I back again, in my days, when I was first starting, whenever I got a piece of code to update, the first thing I did was reformat it Mm -hmm. and re-subroutine it. And, and, you know, it, you don't, don't actually have to do that. And that is really difficult (laughs) to, uh, break a habit from. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: I've, I've worked for places that were really lax on code reviews and there was no consistency. And then I've worked at places that were just too, you know, if I if I misspelled a a word in a comment, are you really going to send that back to me? If that was the only issue that you found, I think that's a waste of both of our time. Like it's a comment. It's not the actual code. Or I had this one job early on in my career when I was, you know, really desperate to find jobs where I wrote SQL um, stored procedures. Mm -hmm. So this new manager came in and he made everyone encapsulate every um, table and, you know, name of everything in uh, brackets, which is optional. And he was adamant that that improved speed And I I don't think it does, honestly, it's just a a style choice. Um, So I spent hours and hours just mindlessly going through like hundreds of SQL stored procedures and adding the brackets around everything. (laughs) Well, at least I got paid for it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So um, in your career, your long very long career. Um, have you noticed any, um, struggles as a woman have people treated you differently?
1: Um, in terms of, um, actual, um, management and the teams I've worked on, um, I haven't really had very many problems. And I think part of it was when I was starting in my career, there were so many women, it wasn't like it was, I ran into a lot more problems when I started to speak at conferences. Mm. Um, The first conference or the f- um first, yeah, the first time I actually spoke at a formal conference, uh, walking into the speaker room, and of course, it's, you know, 12 guys sitting there and, you, and you know, um, you know, you've kind of taken aback for a moment. Like, do I even belong in here? The nice thing was that since I got a degree in physics, since my freshman year of college, I was in classes with all guys. So it wasn't a completely, you know, on un, unfamiliar experience. Um, very luckily for me, one of the, um, guys that were in there came up and introduced himself. And I still thank him forever for for making me feel comfortable. Um, The thing though that continued um, for that particular conference, um, it was one of those kind that they have in different cities. And so we had like three or four of them a year. And um, at almost every single one for the first five years or so, it would get to be dinner time and they would stand up and say, well, we're going to go to dinner. See ya. And they would all go to dinner without you, the, a group of them, you know, not all 12 people, but four or five whoever were been sitting in there by the end of the day and leave me sit there. Mm-hmm. And that continued for the longest time. And it got to the point where I stopped, you know, usually I would go to the conference and actually go to the conference for the three days or whatever, and go to the talks and, I just stopped doing that because I was tired of being by myself and, you know, not having anything to do in the evenings other than sit in my room. And so unless I could turn it into a vacation and bring one of my kids or my husband or my sister or something, I I just started flying in to do my talk and then heading out. Um, The interesting thing is, though, more recently, there have been a newer generation of speakers coming in and the first time they're like hey we're all going over to such and such to eat and want to come i was just about you know it's like are you really talking to me <laughs> um but that whole younger generation seems to be much more um comfortable with uh, inviting me along and yeah. um, it was wonderful and then of course the angular conferences are completely different because you know, vast majority, or not majority, but a huge percentage of the speakers are women, and there's a tremendous amount of women at the conference. And it's all a family, and everybody's you know kind, and it's a, a whole different kind of experience. But um, but that was kind of one of the the hardest things for me, especially at the beginning, was just feeling so very alone <laughs> when I'd go to these um, conferences because back then you know, way back before two years ago, you had to actually go to a conference. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I'm not sure if I prefer it
0: that way or the way it is now, because now I can go to all of them, you know, like I can go to any conference I want. But if you're traveling and speaking, especially that takes a lot more time out of your schedule. And also the conferences I speak at now are all pre-recorded so it's the same thing that we do with our plural site stuff like it's you know
1: the whole process I just spoke in Athens this morning nice yeah (laughs) and now you're home and now I'm home so So, yeah it's it's um that part is nice but I really really miss the people I miss talking to people I miss Going and seeing, um, you know, people that are new to Angular, uh, the other speakers. um, I really I miss um, seeing them, and it's just not the same. uh, Exactly online. I um. So.
0: With um. Speaking and. Managing, as a woman i actually haven't had um poor experiences with that but when i was a dev and when i was a lead dev and then when i was an mvp you know like uh, it seemed to anger people you know that i was i was good at my job and that i was not only good at my job but because of my perfectionistic attitude and knowing that as a woman I have to work harder I would raise the bar and a lot of guys don't like that (laughs) they don't like seeing new um approaches to stuff especially if you're the only woman on the team I have been that so many times I can't even (laughs) I can't even yeah Um, yeah, so what advice would you have for the next generation of, uh, devs, managers and speakers?
1: Well, um, just in general, um, I think that sometimes it's really nice to think of yourself as a person in tech, and to not think of yourself as necessarily a woman in tech. And I think that that sometimes um, helps uh, a little bit in terms of of um, not necessarily feeling so different, um, because it's if you think of yourself as just just a woman in tech, then Um, You're kind of separating yourself from um, the other people that aren't women in tech. Um, So I think that 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 helps, and I know that's sort of a weird answer, but um, that's kind of what got me through being a physics major. Um, I didn't really think of myself as the woman in the class. I was just another person in the class with um, everyone else. uh, I think the other thing would be, you know, not to be afraid of, of asking questions. I know um, sometimes, again, when you feel different, and this is true for both women and uh, people of color, or you know, if they're if you're in any way different than what you feel like your the norm is around you or the people around you, um, the the feeling is that that you shouldn't be asking questions. And I think that's one of the worst things that you can do for your career um, and for your job, um, because uh, tech really is all about learning. You know, you have to be constantly learning as to, you know, is this the best way to be doing this? Well, what about um, the latest version of this or, um, you know, what about this new technique or this new um, add in or, you know, whatever? Uh, so you have to be, you have to be asking questions. Um, sometimes it's kind of hard to figure out who to ask questions of. Um, they used to have little study groups in physics and my first couple of years, pretty much my sophomore and junior year, I was like too intimidated to join any of those. And I felt like I was really at a disadvantage. And finally my senior year, I'm just like, well, screw that. and. Um, You know, I just asked to join a study group, and um, it was really nice to have people to, you know, help solve some of these problems with because sometimes the homework assignments were, you know, intense. Um, And so, you know, um, uh, having someone to be asking questions back and forth with, because sometimes, you know, when you explain it to the other person too, you're learning better. And we know this as plural site authors. Frequently, in order to explain something well, you have to learn it so much better in order to explain it to someone. So it works both ways. They're getting the benefit of what you know, you're getting the benefit of what they know. Um, But it's really hard because uh, sometimes it's really easy to feel intimidated. And the other thing that I want to suggest, and this is very specific, um, but it has suited me well. And that is to call out things. I just saw someone on Twitter and it made me so sad that some guy in her office continued when nobody was looking to go up and put his hand on her and whisper stuff in her ear. And all I wanted to say to that woman is just say, what the hell? If every time he did that, you said something like that, loud enough for maybe someone in the next office to hear they would stop doing it now they should not be doing it it's completely inappropriate but I think again too often we are intimidated and I think that we need to stop feeling intimidated and that's so much easier to say than it is to do absolutely um, but true. do everything that you can to just make it clear that that is not acceptable. Like, what are you doing? Um, exactly. You know, it it's doesn't creepy. have to be, you know, you don't have to be swearing or anything, but just loudly and firmly, what are you doing? Mm. And look them in the face and see what their answer is. Exactly. Yeah. Um,
0: i I've needed to hear that for a long time. I think, as women, a lot of the times we're raised to be polite. Yes. And men um expect us to agree with them all the time. You know, I I, I really hate that. But I've had a lot of creeps in offices touching me and stuff. And I I thought that that would stop when I was like older, but. The last time it happened, I was like 38, I think. So I don't know if it'll ever stop, but that is a reason that I work from home, unfortunately.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if it would work in every case, but, you know, just sometimes just the surprise of an immediate, what are you doing? kind of thing might take them aback enough for them to stop doing it and you know again there's always some that go way past that and something as simple as that won't work but um that might take care of some of it just just say it yeah Uh, exactly and and don't be
0: afraid um i think a lot of us are afraid to speak up because we think that we might be blamed, you know, like I'm touching you because you acted like you wanted me to touch you, you know, blaming the woman for inappropriate behavior is misogyny 101. And that has to stop. But I think jobs won't hopefully fire you if You call out harassment. And if they do, you didn't want to work there anyway, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, um, you know, sometimes you don't even have to, it doesn't have to go as far as being, you know, reported necessarily if the mere sense of letting them know that you totally think that that's completely unacceptable. Right might stop it. You know, again, it's not gonna be every case, nothing is that simple, but it might help somewhat just, you know, if nothing else to um, make it clear. And, you know, depending upon where it is and how loud you are, that other people are gonna potentially hear it too. And, And that starts to create a little embarrassment on their part and they might be less apt to do something like that again. Exactly. I could talk to you about
0: these topics all day, but unfortunately we have to wrap up because I am cognizant that you are very busy and I don't want to keep you longer than promised. So to wrap up uh, why don't you tell us where um, where can people find you and what um, projects or talks you have, upcoming?
1: Um, I am on Twitter at Deborah Carrata. So that's a really good place to reach out if you'd like to talk about anything. Um, I also um, uh, have my courses on Pluralsight. So you can uh, just look up my name, Deborah Carrata on Pluralsight, and uh, it will give you the list of all of my uh, courses that I have there. Again, it's um, primarily uh, C-sharp and uh, lots of Angular courses, um, arcs.js. And um, uh, been we've been doing an ang- what they're calling Angular World Tour, um, which is uh, several of us um, speaking all over the world from our desks. And again, as I mentioned this morning, we were in um, Athens. Uh, but if you uh, look up Angular World Tour, you can see where we're all going next. Um, I'm not speaking at every one of them, but it was kind of nice. Um, today's talk, it was all three women um, for um, they also have three speakers. And um, and so it was nice to have all three of us uh, there. Um, but as I said, every um, every one of them is is sponsored in a different city somewhere on, on the globe. And it has uh, three uh, speakers. And I've been doing like every other month or so of those. And it's been real fun. Um, so that would be something else to uh, um, to try if you haven't tried it. That's great. Yeah,
0: that's a lot on your schedule. I can't. I can't wait to hear these talks and um, just watch so many more of your courses. Okay. I've Thanks. I've only watched two, I think, and you have you know <laughs> dozens, right? I think. Yeah. Yep. So thank you so much for agreeing to be here. This was recorded before we even published our first episode. So, you know, he didn't even have a frame of reference as to what this was. I appreciate your time so much. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Today's episode is sponsored by Pluralsight. Pluralsight is the premier learning platform for technology skills. With a Pluralsight subscription, you can have access to thousands of courses created by industry experts, including myself, covering topics from programming languages to soft skills, including leadership and management. Visit trsntechcom Pluralsight to get started with a free 10-day trial today. If you want to support us, please like, subscribe, and share this episode with your fellow gems. Let me know in the comments what other topics you would like me to cover. Thanks for watching or listening, and have a great day.